0: And we're kicking off a new series uh, today um, that uh, I think you're going to really enjoy. It's about a six week series, and where big picture is we're going to talk about having the right vision. Uh, Okay? And uh, thinking about this coming year, you know, we're in the year 2020. So what year can you talk about having 2020 perfect vision? It's got to be this year. We can't wait till next year to talk about this. We couldn't have talked about it last year. It's got to be this year we talk about having good vision. Let me just see a raise of hands. How many of you wear glasses? All right, how many of you just need readers? You're in my group. Okay, yeah, I don't quite understand the whole reader thing because I went to the eye doctor and they said I had 2020 vision, but I still need readers. I'm not an optometrist. Don't try to explain it to me. Sometimes I need them, sometimes I don't. Kind of one of those weird stages in life. But the reason that we all wear glasses is why? So that you can correct your vision. Because your vision is not right. You're not seeing something correctly. You're seeing it blurry or it's out of focus or you can't, you can't even see it. And so you put on glasses so that you can correct the vision and you can therefore see something finally, correctly, correctly. That is going to be our goal, not just of the next six weeks of the study, but also actually throughout the coming year. Our goal as a church and my goal as the pastor of the church to help guide and really direct our church to start to see some things clearly that we just may have not seen very clearly in the past. Maybe some things in in your life or your Christian walk that, that you've just kind of been blurry on or kind of been foggy on and didn't quite know which direction to go on it. Our goal this year really is to just bring into clarity what God's plan is for your life, what God's purpose is for your life, so that you can truly see it correctly. And you know the thing about wearing glasses, I've got my, my glasses, I keep them right here. You know, if 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 someone doesn't have good vision and they get prescribed glasses, you expect them to wear them, right? It's socially acceptable, it's 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 in the norm. If you got bad vision, it's expected that you put on your glasses. Why? So that you can see correctly. Church, in our Christian walk, and what we're going to focus on the next six weeks, the same thing. It's expected. It's it's expected as a Christian that if there's some areas that, that we need help understanding, that we put on god's glasses and we start to see things as god would have us to see them okay it's normal it's expected it's not anything to be embarrassed about it's not something to be ashamed about it's just that i didn't understand this principle okay good okay good but now you're going to have a chance to understand a principle and and it will be expected of us to put on our biblical reading glasses to see things the way that god wants us to see it okay and so that's kind of how we're going to think about it. And, and my goal this year, as I said, is to really kind of bring some things into light that I think sometimes that we as a church, maybe individually, maybe it's just me, that we struggle with some things. Um, how, how many of you have noticed in the lobby the blue circles out there with the sayings? Have you noticed those? Okay, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, those, those five sayings are the five things that we are going to focus on the next six weeks. Wait a Pastor, we've got five things we're going to talk about, but we've got six weeks to do it. Yeah, because one of these weeks I've invited a very special guest of who I will not announce right now to talk also about this subject as well. So he's going to uh, jump in on the middle of the series and uh, present to us some of his thoughts and some of his understanding and we'll apply that. But there's five five main things we're going to cover in this series, uh, in this six-week series. And I think this is going to be really helpful to you. The first one is, uh, is the first circle that we're going to kind of look at on that wall out there. You see it there in your program. And that is this, that growing people change. Now, l- let me say this too. Church, if, if you'll lean into this subject for the next 20 or 30 minutes, okay, if, if you'll just... You know, forget about Facebook for a minute, forget about work tomorrow, forget about the weather, forget about those things, and lean into this, and kind of apply yourself, and this is young people and this is old people, I really think that if you get this principle that we're going to talk about tonight, I really think it's going to help you to understand the Christian life, not just for this year, but for the rest of your life, and to start to understand some principles, maybe some things that you've been struggling with. So I'm just going to invite you to just kind of really focus on this, take some notes in your sheet, And to really, you know, to apply it to yourself, okay? Apply it to your life, not your wife's life, not your husband's life, not your kids, but to apply it to your life, okay? Growing people change. I I love, uh, we've got a preschool and a Christian school here, and I love to see the young people growing up. We've got, our preschool goes all the way down to two-year-old class. And I have to laugh when the two-year-olds come in, the mom's first day of, you know, preschool, for a two-year-old, and they wow, my child is so advanced, and, you know, they're just telling us, and, you know, they're just so great, and, you know, they're just so wonderful, and, and all the great things about their two-year-old, and you're kind of just sitting there smiling like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of our children are so advanced, but, you know, the child's two years old, they can barely walk, you know, they're still kind of walking into walls once in a while, you know, the parents are so proud about it, you know, they pretty much can use the bathroom sometimes, most of the times on their own, but not always, you know, but parents are so proud when they do, and, I my mean, kid's so advanced, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, and by the time that child kind of goes from two to two and a half, you know, halfway through the school year, they're moving into the three-year-olds and, and getting through the whole school year, they really have grown up a lot, but they really have grown a lot this way, too, mentally, and their capacity to do stuff. The child that walked in here that, that couldn't stand in line the first day of preschool, that, 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 that couldn't, you know, did, didn't know what it meant to, you know, we're all going to go to the bathroom now, or, or didn't know what it meant to hold hands in a line, or didn't know what it meant to sing a song together, or didn't know what it meant parents to share their toys because they've been at home the first two years of their life, and all they're used to is mom and their sisters and brothers, and now they have to share a toy. But after that first two and a half year, or the, the first half a year, the, the first full year of a two-year-old They've learned a lot of those things. And guess what? Those growing little children have really changed. They really have. Mom and dads, those of you that have kids, let me ask you a question. Is there a big difference between a two-year-old and a three-year-old? There's a huge difference between a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Those of you that got little kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's just a really big difference by that. But the thing is that, that we expect that. We, we see a child and we say, oh yeah, that, that child is going to grow up and that child is going to learn social skills, right? They're going to learn to be with other kids. They're going to learn how to share. They're going to learn how to talk nicely. They're, they're going to learn how to not say the word no. You know, they're going to learn those things. And we expect them to grow up and we expect them to change. Let me ask you a question. Is it strange? Is it different? Is it, a, is it a caution that there's something wrong if a child doesn't grow up and change? Yeah, you, you stop and you say, well, maybe there's, there's a problem here. And, and some children, there are problems there. Sure, absolutely, you address those. But for the most part, normally, we expect a two-year-old to grow up. We expect a three-year-old to grow up. We expect a 10-year-old to grow up. We expect a 16-year-old to grow up. And all God's children said... Amen. <laughs> I got a 16-year-old at home, yeah. We expect an 18-year-old to grow up. We also expect a 25-year-old to grow up, right? You expect a 30-year-old to grow up. How about a 40-year-old? Do we expect a 40-year-old to grow Yeah, absolutely. How about a 50-year-old? Yeah. How about a 60-year-old? How about a 70 year Do we ever stop growing mentally and spiritually? No, not at all. We never stop growing. We expect that with growth comes change. Okay, that is a normal concept of life. We we see that in our children, and and you know, uh, uh, Peter wrote about it in the New Testament. He said, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow." There's an anticipation, there's an expectation that you ought to grow. Which means what, church? Which means this: as a Christian, you shouldn't be the same person today that you were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago as a Christian. The expectation is that if you're a Christian, you ought to be growing and changing. And and there shouldn't be this, well, that's just the way I am. I was born this way. I'll die this way. That's the way I am. No, that's not in the Bible. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm German. It doesn't matter if you're German. You know, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's an expectation that we're to grow up and that we're to change in our Christian life and that we're to mature. And that we're to, we're to do the things that God would have us to do in our Christian life. You know, I used to think, I'll tell you this, when I, when I was a new believer, my, my, kind of my original theory about growing up was that as long as I don't do wrong things... Then I'm maturing as a Christian. You know what I'm talking about? In, In other words, this, as long as I'm not sinning, then I must be a spiritual person. Okay? As long as I'm just not doing the wrong thing, I'm just, here's the line, I got the checklist, I'm obeying all the rules. Give me the rule list. Okay? Here's all the rules. I'm obeying all the rules. Well, therefore, obeying the rules equals means the fact that I'm growing, that I'm a spiritual person, because I can obey the rules. Well, Those of you with children, you know that your children sometimes can obey the rules, but that doesn't mean that they're maturing, right? It just means that they learned how to obey the rule, and they're they're escaping your wrath. (laughs) That's all that it means. Because that's kind of half the truth. That's kind of the half of the whole thing. You know, if if that was just true, then then all we had to do is just obey the rules and do the right things. And here's what we could do, guys: we could just move into a, a cave like a monk and just live there and just do all. We're not doing bad things. But we could just always, you know, put ourselves in prison or something like that to where we only just do the right things. Put ourselves at home and we're not, we're not outside the box at all and we only do the right things. But just doing the right things is only half the conversation and that's not all of it. But what about this, Pastor? What about if I just know all the right things? Well, there's an awful lot of people that know the right things. It doesn't make them spiritual. You could have someone who's a, a seminary professor who knows all the books of the Bible and can read in Greek and can study and tell you things in Hebrew that you'd never even dream of and and all this biblical knowledge. But just because you know all the right things, it doesn't make you spiritual either. You may be educated. You may be smart. You may have some college debt, but it doesn't make you a spiritual person. So, Pastor, tell me, what, what are some things that I need to know if I want to grow spiritually, and if I want to learn things spiritually, and if I want to see change, spiritual change in my life? I'm going to give you a couple things today. I want you to write them down in your notes. And I think you're going to find this very practical and very helpful. Four things here that some basic truths that we need to know if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to mature spiritually. Number one, if you're going to grow, you're going to need to learn to grow. Okay, If you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to need to learn to grow spiritually. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is a, 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 a letter written to a pastor. Interesting, it's written to a pastor, and the guy who wrote, his name is Paul. And Paul says to this guy, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, Pastor Tim, first word there of chapter 2, verse 15, says, Study. Pastor Tim, you're going to need to study. Study what? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're going to have to study. Study is necessary. Church, you cannot be Christ-like unless you know what Christ is like. Okay? You can't be Christ-like unless you know what Christ is like. You've you got to learn what is it that Christ is like. What is it that, that God desires of me? You know, you can't just wing it through your life and just start making decisions in your life and raising your children just by, well, I'm just going to, you know, these are my own ideas. Okay, listen, if you're going to raise your children, if you're going to live your, your marriage just by, well, I just made this up, these are my own ideas. I could pretty much guarantee you right now, your life is going to be a failure. Because we can't just do it on our own. My Bible says that my heart is desperately wicked and I can't even know it. So, why in the world would I want to try to raise my kids or be a husband or, or be a good spouse or be a good employee or be a good Christian with my own ideas? Because I can't trust my own ideas. My own ideas are faulted. And my Bible says they're desperately wicked. You just can't make it up. You can't figure it out on your own. No, you've got to study to see what is God's plan for my future. What is God's plan for my life? If you're a married couple, you need to be studying and understanding what is God's plan for you as a married couple. If you've got kids, you need to be studying and understanding what is it that I'm supposed to be doing with my kids? How is it that I'm supposed to do these things? And it's not how much you know it's not even really just how much you do. Let me, let me give you an example here, and I, I think this will help you out. Spiritual maturity is the gap between what you know and how you act. So pretend just for a moment here that this hand here is, is the things that I know. These are all the things that I know. Pretend that this hand here, this is how I act. Okay, This is my life, my conversation of life. Your spiritual maturity is measured in this gap. Okay, How much I know... But how I act, for instance, let's say someone walks in off the street here and let's say they've got an addiction problem and they come on Friday night and let's say on Friday night, we had a wonderful time Friday night, by the way, if you haven't come to our Friday night program, you need to come to our Friday night program, okay? Uh, we had a good time. So let's say they come in and, and let's say they get saved on Friday night, okay? They, they don't know anything, but maybe they know one thing and, and maybe they, that's all that they know because they just, they just became a Christian, you know, last night, right? They just trusted in Christ as their Savior. But what they know, they do. You say, wow, in perspective, church, in perspective, they're a pretty spiritual person. Why? Because they're doing, they're living exactly what they know. What happens with time is this, is that the more we start to to, to go to church, the more we start to grow and the more we read our Bible and stuff like that, we start to know more. The problem a lot of times is that our acting lags behind our knowing, and this gap right here, this gap is called your spiritual maturity level. That's just wherever you're at, okay? What you know versus how you act. We could know people that know an awful lot of stuff, but they, they, they act really immature. Well, they're just not a very spiritual person. They're just not growing, okay? Just because they know something, but they're not acting that way. And that, that gap is, is our spiritual maturity level. And, and we got to be thinking about that. And as we grow and as we know more, we are also accountable for more. The more you know, the more you're accountable for. I don't expect the new person that comes up here on Friday night and gets saved on Friday night from a life of addiction, I don't expect them to act like someone who's been going to church for 40 years. You just don't expect it. But I also don't expect someone who's been going to church for 40 years to act like someone that just got saved last night at our addiction recovery program. Do you see the difference in that? you understand that? Okay, there, there's a there's a assume that there's an understanding there well pastor i've gone to church for 30 or 40 years well that's great i know people that have gone to church 30 or 40 years it doesn't make them spiritual <laughs> i know people that have gone to church 30 or 40 years and, and they act worse than some people that show up on friday night for the first time you know and it's worse because they ought to know more they, they should know more i have a 16 year old son i love my 16 year old son cole great young man but here's the deal i don't expect cole to act like an eight-year-old but I don't expect Cole to act like a 40-year-old either. What do I expect Cole to act like? I expect him to act like a 16-year-old, right? Okay, It's weird either way. If he acts like an 8-year-old, you say, well, that's kind of weird, right? <laughs> and if you've got a 16-year-old that acts like a 40-year-old, those that are over 40, you sit there and go, boy, that's weird. <laughs> you know, that kid you hit them across, <laughs> you know. <laughs> learning how to grow and studying what God wants for your life, learning this is a key element. To actually being able to grow what, what, what does God really want what what, what does God want for me as a parent, as an employee, as a church member, as a husband, as a wife, to really study that tell you what i 'm going to do i 'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I may get in trouble with this i 'm going to ask you a question, and i don 't want you to raise your hand okay i 'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it in your mind okay don 't shake your head. Okay, don't, no signs, don't puff up. Nothing. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it in your head. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to answer it in your brain for you. Okay, don't answer it out loud. Here's the question. Are you really, are you really, really a student of the Bible? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't, don't nod, don't shake, whatever. Don't hit your wife or your husband. You know, just. Are you really a student of the Bible? I, I, now, I didn't ask, do you read the Bible? I said, are you a student of the Bible? Do you, do you study the principles of God's Word? Do you have a plan in place? Do you have a, a concept? Do you have something, some way that you're studying the Bible? Now, that may not just be opening up this book and reading and although that is good and highly recommended, but there's a lot of ways you can study what God's planned for your life. There's a lot of ways you can study the Bible. You can listen to a podcast. Our church, we put all of our messages up online. You can listen to those. A lot of other good preachers and good podcasts. A lot of good Christian books. You can read a lot of good Christian books, sure. Yeah, there's good Christian radio. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things you can do, okay? And if you're at a different stage in life, there's a lot of things that you can be doing to study it. But, but are you truly, have you ever thought about this? Am I a student of the Bible? Am I a student of, of what God has for me in my life? Well, pastor, you know, I tried to read the Bible, but it's just too confusing, Now, hold on a second. Let me me just talk. If if that's your statement, if you said, you know, Pastor, I tried to read this, but it's too confusing, let me give you a hint on how to read it, okay? I'm going to tell you right now how to read it to make it easy for you. Ready? If you say it's too confusing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find an easy book of the Bible. Let's say we start with the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Start with the book of John. And here's what I want you to do. This is easy. I just want you to read it. Listen. Read it. Listen. Until you find a part you do understand, okay? Okay? So if you're reading it and I don't, don't understand, don't understand, don't understand. Oh, I understand that verse. Great. Then you stop on the verse that you do understand and you just pray about that. You just praise God. God, I am thankful. I understand that verse. That verse makes sense to me. And you just say, God, I don't know what you got for me, but that's a verse I understand. I think I can get that one. I got that verse. A lot of verses I don't get, but the one verse there, I can get that one verse. Okay. Does that sound pretty easy? Just read, read until you find something you do get. And then praise God for it and pray, pray about it, okay? Now, as you get older and you get more mature in Christ and you, 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 your Christian life kind of goes on, then you ought to start reading until you find something you don't get. And then you stop in the things you don't get and then you pray about it. God, I'd really like to get this. What does this verse mean? You know, but, but for right now, just start with something that you do know. And just say, God, this is something. I, you know, I have made time for this, but I do read this and I do get this verse. And I'm going to stay here and I'm going to read about this. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to praise God for it. I'm not going to get discouraged if there's something I don't get, whatever. I'm just going to do something, Listen, everyone in this room can do something, okay? You, you can listen to a podcast, you can read a book, you can, you can read a devotional, you can read your Bible, okay? There's a lot of things you can do to, to improve your life, to grow as a Christian, right? There's really, at this stage in, in, in America and in the world today, there's, there's really is no excuse, all right? We talked about in our 10 o'clock get-together about the history of the Bible. And for years, people, you know, would fought and, and they died, literally, to get their hands on a copy of a Bible. You would spend an entire year's salary to buy a copy of this, only to have it taken away and have your family killed if you had it. You know, and now all of us have like 10 of these laying around, our, you know, our Bible, you know, on our app, our phone. We've got 10 different versions. Th- there, is no, there is no excuse nowadays that, that we can't learn, okay? That we can't study God's Word, that we can't study whatever phase in life we're in. If you've got, if you've got young kids, parents, listen. If you've got young kids... You need to be reading a Christian book about how to raise young children. All right? And all the, all the preschool teachers I see, they're all shaking their head. Yes, okay. I, I, I'm amazed, and I'll just tell you this, I'm just amazed, heading up a very large preschool here that we have, at the number of parents that, that just don't take any involvement as far as raising their children, you know, personal. And they'll say, what can I do to help my child obey or not throw a chair across the room or whatever it is? What and you'll, you'll recommend to them a book or, or give them, you know, a pamphlet or something. On, on ch- well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Instead, I'd rather chase my kid around the room yelling at him for hours at end and just chasing them. No, I think personally I'd rather read about it and do it right? Right? you got older kids, you got teenagers, parents, you need to be reading books about teenagers, about teenagers dating, about teenagers going through adolescence. You need to be studying stuff like that so you are ready to help your children make those kind of answers. And, and you'll have the answer, parent. Listen, you'll have the answer when, you, when your child's asked about doing drugs. You won't sit there and go, oh, oh, oh. You'll have the answer when your child asks about sex. Okay, you'll have those answers. What's the Bible say about this? What's the Bible say about gender? You'll have those answers. Your kid gets older, gets in uh, you know, the twenties. You you ought to be understanding. You ought to be understanding newlyweds. You ought to be thinking about that. Why? Well, I'm not a newlywed. Yeah, but your kids are. You need to be helping them with that. Whatever stage you're in your life in, you need to be thinking about that finances or whatever, and saying, God, what is it that I need to be learning right now? What's an area of my life that I could be growing in right now? All right, number two. We We've got to keep moving here. Number two. Number two. This is if you want to grow. I just want you to remember this. I want you to remember this, that separation is bidirectional. Pastor, what in the world does that mean? Separation is bidirectional. Well, here's what I mean. It means that in the Bible, there's a lot of times when the Bible says separate from something. Okay? From something. But every time it says from something, it also says to something. Okay? So, it's bidirectional. You separate from something, but you separate to something as well. In other words, you put off this, but you put on this. A lot of times... A lot of times in Christianity today, we're, we're, <laughs> not at this church, but there's churches that will spend all their time focusing on all the things they're against. Don't, 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 no, 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 don't, don't, don't. But they never spend time about yes, 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 do, 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 do this. Okay? It's bidirectional. You don't just separate from something. Every time in the Bible it says get away from this, it says the reason you get away from this is so you can go to this. Okay. There's something better. I have a better plan. I have a better choice. I have a better thing for you here as well. Ephesians chapter 4 is the one we always think about. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, the former lifestyle. So the Bible says, listen, you put off those things of your old lifestyle. Now, I don't have to make a list, and I'm not going to make a list of your old lifestyle. You know what your old lifestyle is, okay? And everyone here in this room, it's a little bit different. But I don't have to tell you what your old lifestyle was, okay? He says, as a Christian, you put off those things. In other words, this. I'll I'll put it in real clear English. Stop acting like the unsaved. That's not your job. You put off the things, the ways, the action, the music, the entertainment, the friendships. You put off those things. He says it right there. You've seen it right there in the Bible. Concerning the former conversation, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, so you put off those things. Yeah, but then you put on things too. I I love about our Christian school. I I am just in love. I'll just say this: I am just in love with our Christian school. It is not perfect by any means, but there is a great group of people there. Young people that are—they're just going to poof. They're going to rock this world. They're just amazing. I mean it, it. It's impressive. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. But I'm excited about the future. Let me tell you that. But what we focus on, what we focus on is not so much don't, 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 don't. But it's, hey, do, 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 do. These are the things. This is the way God wants you to act. This is the way God wants you to dress. This is the way God wants you to look. And the focus isn't so much what you're not supposed to do, but the focus is what I'm supposed to do. Why? Because separation Is bi-directional. It's it's two parts of the puzzle. It's not just put off. It's to put off and to put on something. Verse 24, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. And that you put on the new man. So he said said, put off the old way of acting and he says put on the new way of acting. The problem is (laughs) between those two verses we often forget about the verse right there in the middle that says and be renewed in the spirit of your mind it says be renewed. So how do I put off and how do I put on? You change the way you think. That's what he's saying to do. He's saying he's saying have a new thought. Change the way that you think. Put off your old way of thinking and put on your new way of thinking. Did you know in the Bible and I counted this and I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is the right number or not. I'm pretty close. Maybe you got a different number than I do. I counted about 78 times. 78. 78 times. Seventy-eight times in the Bible where it's said to put something off and put something else on. Do you know that? There's a, there's a ton of them. It's, it's all over. Put off disrespect for authority in your life. Put on honoring authority in your life. Put off complaining and murmuring. Put on praise. Put off, the Bible says this, music that's fleshly. Put on edifying music. Put off being stubborn. Put on being broken. Put off your pride. Put on humility. Put off bitterness. Put, put on forgiveness over and over and over but how by growing by changing the way i think now think about this point separation is bi-directional you will not get point number two until you apply point number one okay you 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 will never understand point number two until you start to apply point number one because you don't know what the bible says you you haven't spent time focusing on what it is that god wants to be how does god want me to think Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Let this mind, you want to know how to think, church? It says it right here. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, church, stop thinking like you think and start thinking like Christ thinks. How about this? Stop thinking like your parents thought. Well, my mom always said, great. Start thinking like Christ thought. Well, my pastor always said, stop thinking like your pastor thinks. Start thinking like Christ thinks. Well, they said, start thinking like Christ thinks. Put off what what you think. Put off the ways you think it's supposed to be doing. Put off what society says is cool. All right, that's real easy. Turn off the TV and YouTube and you should be fine with that. And say, what is it that Christ would have me to think? How is it that Christ would have me to act? What is it that Christ would have me to do? Number three, third one on here, if you want to grow, growing people change. Number three, understand this. Sin is optional. Oh, pastor, that sounds so obvious. (laughs) Romans chapter 6, verse 11. This is an interesting passage, Romans chapter 6, if you got it in your Bible. Romans chapter 6. Starting with verse 11, he says this, likewise, reckon. Take your pen and underline the word reckon. Reckon means to reconcile. So when you think of the word reconcile, what do you think of? Well, back in the old days, you'd have a checkbook and you have to reconcile your checkbook, right? I don't, you, know, you have to do that. You have to reconcile. So he says there, the, Paul says, speaking to the, the church in Rome, he says, church, you, know, you need to reckon. You need to reconcile yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin. So what do you need to reconcile? That you also yourselves are dead indeed to sin. You're dead to sin. But you're alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 12, Underline the first two words. Let not sin, therefore reign in your body. Let not. Would you please underline those two words? Why, Pastor? Why should I underline those two words? Because those two words prove to me that sin is what? It's optional. Right? There's obviously, there's a choice there. Don't let sin. We have an option. Let not. You have an option, therefore, for sin to reign in your body. And that you have to obey it. And the lust thereof. Look at verse 13. Neither... Yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. So the word neither also means, also means that there's a choice. Are you seeing a pattern in these two verses? There is obviously, there's a choice to sin or not to sin. He's saying you don't have to do it. Let not. He says neither let it be like that. But yield yourselves unto God as as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now look at the next verse, verse, verse 14. For sin... Shall not. You've got an option. You have, you have an option here. You don't have to sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Pastor, what, is, what does it mean to have sin have dominion over me, to dominate me? Well, before you were a Christian, before you were a Christian, sin dominated you. Okay? Why did sin dominate you as a Christ, or before you became a Christian? Because you had no choice. It doesn't mean you were a bad person. You might have been a really good person before you were a Christian, but, but there was no battle there. there was a, sin, sin dominated you because there was no, nothing else there. What does it mean to be dominated by something? When I was, uh, a few years back, when, when my boys were a little bit younger, we used to play basketball a lot because they were getting ready to be on a basketball team. And I played basketball a lot with Bryce and Cole, and when I played with Cole, I would, I would dominate the inside area, Okay. Now, he would argue that all day long, but I got proof that he did this. So, if he'd come up to drive the lane on me, just because he was, he was, he was younger, he was smaller, you know what I'm saying? And, and big old dad was sitting right there by the basketball, uh, by the, in the key there, right by the hoop, and dad would dominate that, and, and, and Cole could do nothing about it, because I dominated him in that area. What's the proof of that? Cole's over there shaking his head no. The proof of that is this. Cole became an extremely good three-point shooter. Why? because because i dominated him down by the basket he couldn't do anything just because i was bigger than he was so he had to go way outside he had to start shooting threes now interesting times have changed Uh, he's grown up (laughs) i've grown up now think roles are reversed now he dominates inside in the key and guess who's learning their three-point shot (laughs) i'm not gonna make a basket on Cole if i'm close to him there's just no way i gotta pull back man there's just no way but but that's the idea that, that that sin dominates you. There's nothing you can do about it. That the, that's the only choice you have. Romans chapter seven verse five, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which are by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So when you were in the flesh, when you when you're in the flesh, you, you yield to sin. Okay, we all have weaknesses. We all struggle. The key with this verse is saying is instead of yielding to what sin wants in our life, we have to yield to what God wants in our life because we don't have to sin. Go down to verse 18. And this is Paul saying this. For I know that in me that's in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. This is the greatest Christian that ever lived. He wrote this passage and said, I'm struggling. You know, this is a tough thing. I I want to do what's right. I just keep messing up. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I, I do not. But the evil which I, I would not, no, that's what I do. <laughs> I'm adding the emphasis. Verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It, it's no more I, I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I, I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, if, if I could start to renew my mind, if I could start to change my thinking, then I can start to reconcile. Paul must have been Southern to say reckon. I can reckon myself dead unto sin. Why? Because I can yield myself unto Christ. I can make a decision in this moment of temptation this way or this way. I I can do that now. I'm a Christian. I can yield to sin and follow after sin or I can yield to God in my life and say, you know what, I, I I don't need that and I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that anymore. I I don't have to drink that, smoke that, watch that, listen to that, be there. I, I used to have to, but I don't have to anymore. Why? Because I have a choice now. I have a choice that I can separate from that, and I don't have to be part of that. I don't have to do that. Well, but pastor, I can't help my sin. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Did Christ ever tell you to do something that he knew you couldn't do? No. My Bible says that with Christ, all things are what? Possible. If Christ said it's possible for you to say no to sin and that sin is optional, then my Bible tells me that we have a choice to sin or not to sin. Okay? I'm not saying it's not a struggle. I'm not saying sometimes it's hard. I'm not saying you don't feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and you have to you have to act out your addiction. But my Bible says we don't have to. There is a way of escape. We feel like it sometimes, that there's no way out, but my Bible says no, there there is a way. I do not have to sin. Tell you what, church, let's do this real quick. We've got one more point to cover. And we'll be done. Would you repeat after me? Repeat after me. I do not, I do not have, to sin. have to sin. Let's try it one more time. I do not, I do not have, to sin. have to sin. Okay, that, that, that's, as, that's, as, that's as good as gospel of any gospel verse I've ever given you from the Bible. Okay, that's there. You may feel like it. The temptation is there, but I don't have to. I can choose to do the right thing. I can choose not to have anger. I can choose not to have depression. I can choose not to have anxiety. I can choose not to have worry. We can choose those things. Okay, We can make a choice of those things. We can choose those things. Well, Pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know my husband. You're right, I don't, but God does. Amen, church? Amen. And as you grow and as you start to change, you're going to find that that gap is going to start to shrink. That gap will start to shrink. Okay? Uh, I tell you what, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold on this for right now because I want to keep moving for the sake of time. There's something else I want to talk about that I think is just really important when we talk about growing, people, changing. I, I want to give you a challenge, okay, that we're going to do as a church for an entire year. It's first Sunday of the year, so we have 52 weeks, 51 after today. I don't know, this is a leap year. Do we have an extra one? Probably not, but... <laughs> But I'm going to give you a challenge that I want you to do, and it's going to, go, it's going to coincide with our series that we're going to do, but you're going to get it, okay? That, that's going to help you to think about this passage and this, this keynote of growing people, change, okay? Let's take a look at this verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. This is a verse that throughout the coming year we're going to refer to on occasion, and kind of a verse that the next six weeks I'm going to refer to an awful lot because I think it has to deal with the vision of our church. Therefore said he unto them, this is Jesus talking to the people, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Now, can we just pause for a second? How many of you have seen a meme on Facebook or a plaque at a Christian bookstore and it shows a picture of the wheat field, right? And it says in that thing, it says it says the harvest is great and, and, and the laborers are few. You know, how many of you have seen something like that? We've all seen something like that, right? You know? I've seen some of them, because I was actually looking for it, and I've seen a lot of them that say, pray for the harvest. Pray for the harvest. Got me thinking. Wait a second. Does that verse say pray for the harvest? What does the verse say? Keep going. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would do what? Send forth laborers into his harvest. So church, as a church with a commandment given by Jesus Christ, we're supposed to pray for what? We're supposed to pray for what? For laborers, which is what? Which is people to go in and do the harvest. See, Jesus said there's plenty of harvest out there. There, There's there, there so much harvest, I don't know what to do with it. It's crazy silly, all right? The problem is we can't find enough people to go do the harvest. That is Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Tell you what, let's read this verse together as a church, all right? Let's read this verse together. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Here we go, let's read it. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So, church, here's what we're going to do this coming year. I think it's going to be fun, and you're going to enjoy it, and we're going to challenge each other all year to do this. Okay. On the way out the door today, when you leave, when you leave the auditorium today, you're going to be given a business card uh, this size, and it has just the numbers 10, 10.02 on it. Why? Because that's Luke chapter ten verse 2. On the back of it is the verse Luke chapter 10 verse 2. Okay? What I want you to do is I want you to take this card. I want you to stick it in your pocket put it in your purse. I want you to take as many cards as you need because we are going to hand these out to you many times throughout this year. Okay? So don't get tired of this because we're going to, we're going to encourage you all throughout the year to do this. But every day every day at ten you're going to do what? Pray for who? Labors to do What? To go into the harvest. Every day at 10.02, a.m. or p.m., I don't care. I'll probably do it at a.m. I'm hoping I'm asleep by PM. <laughs> but every day at 10.02 a.m., I want you to put this by your computer, put it in your locker at work, put it on your, your dashboard of your car, put a reminder on your phone, put it wherever you need to put it. And again, we're going to remind you all throughout the year. We're going to hand out these cards and just keep reminding you. Every day that you will just pray for the labors. You just pray God would you send laborers into the field? God, would you send laborers, maybe even from our church, into the field? And, and maybe this prayer is, is 10 seconds long. Maybe it's a minute. Maybe it's 10 minutes. It, it, it doesn't have to be an hour. You just have to pray the verse. Just, just pray the verse. Hey, dear God. I'm praying that, that that you would send forth laborers into your harvest. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that's gonna apply to my life. I don't know how it'll affect our church, but I'm just praying right now that you would just send laborers into the harvest. Because apparently, church, apparently, there's not a shortage of harvest. Apparently not. Right? What's the shortage? The people to go harvest. True enough? Does everyone get that simple concept? All right. Good. So we're gonna we're gonna we're going to focus on that a lot throughout the year. And today, as we talked about growing, people change. Growing, people change. Do you think Do you think by you praying this verse that maybe you could change this coming year? Do you think God can work in your life this year? Can I get an amen? All right. Do you think if you pray this every day for a year, do you think God would work in your life? Can I get an amen? Amen. And some of you are going... I don't know if I want to pray that verse. <laughs> okay, it's not my idea. It's Jesus Christ's idea. Okay, and it's not a suggestion. It's a what? It's a commandment. So we need to do it. So as a church every day at 10.02. And I'll, I'll Facebook you once in a while, or we'll put something out, send a text out, just remind you to do it. We're going to have our school kids do it every day at 10.02. Just pray for labors. Just God, whatever that means, we're going to pray for labors. Does that sound good, church? All right. We're going we're gonna to stop now on this. We're going to continue on our series starting, uh, continuing on next week. And Next week, we're going to encourage you to do that again. Okay, so on the way out the door, take a couple cards. The ushers will give them to you. And every day at 10.02 a.m. or p.m., I don't care, pray. And that's just an easy way to remember it. 10.02, you're going to pray for labors. All right? Aren't you glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I get an amen? The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid our sin debt. Aren't you glad that you can know for certain you have eternal life? I'm thankful that we don't have to work for it or we don't have to earn it. Uh, uh, I've, heard, I've heard preachers give, give a real nice presentation of the gospel in the past, and they've done really nice about how it's by grace you're saved, but then they tag church membership onto it, or they tag you need to be baptized onto it. Or they're tagging something onto it. Salvation is not when you've done your work, but when, you, when you've totally relied on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid your debt. Look at this verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves... It's a gift of God, not of works. There's an awful lot, of, awful lot of pastors that won't say that verse. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What does it mean it's not of works? It just means it's not a work. It's nothing that you're doing. So in other words, if you're relying on something that you're doing, you're not relying on what Jesus Christ did in the cross Calvary church. Okay. If you're relying on you being a good person, if you're relying on you getting baptized, if you're relying on you joining a church, that's something that you do. And maybe those are some good things, but that's not what Jesus Christ did. When Jesus Christ spread his arms and died on the cross, he paid the sin debt for mankind. And God says, it's not what you do. It's what my son did when he died on the cross. He was the payment for your debt. All you can ever do is just believe it. That's all you can do. That he died on the cross, buried, three days later rose again. That I believe that Jesus Christ paid my sin debt. That's all I can do. I can only believe that because I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. He knew you couldn't do it. That's why I said, I just want you to believe it. I want you to trust in what my son did for you. Okay, That's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer will be done right now. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for our study today in the word, and we're thankful, Lord, that growing people can change. I'm thankful that we can change. I pray that I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm praying that everyone here in this room Isn't the same person next year that they are today? I pray that we grow better, closer to you. Would you challenge us to grow, Father? Would you, please? Father, would you challenge us every day to pray for the laborers? You told us to. Why aren't we? I guess this needs to be something we should be praying for. Help us to do it. Help us to be challenged in that. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who's never trusted you as Savior, but right now they understood that salvation's a free gift. Lord, would you work in their heart right now? Would you give them just a special blessing from on high today, Lord, that they realize that, that, that their sin, they can't go to heaven, but sin has been paid for in the cross, and all they have to do is simply trust, accept that. God, I realize I'm a sinner, but God, I can't pay for it. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in what your son did. He paid my debt, so I don't have to. I accept that right now as the gift of salvation. Lord, if someone's doing that right now today, would you give them just a special blessing? Thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We're thankful for this church. We're looking forward to this coming year. The best really is yet to come here at Dayspring. In your name we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262 262- 404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com Thanks for listening.